It's the next level. Vocal mode initiated. The end begins here. Who are you? I am the law. I am the Demons. Devils. Some of its victims must have thought it was the devil. It absorbed that concept from them and believes that's what it is. Why have you killed these people? They are cattle. Would you let us live? One of your species has theorized my existence. It's like a pop Learning a difficult trick. Why? It is your Matthew Mark. You can die. Only in me can you achieve immortality. Not a god. Not in Christ. We do what you say. Will you let us live? How low can you go? Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder like what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. You know what's really annoying? Recently I found out that department store near my place was selling the movie Jacob's Wife. Jacob's Wife, uh, it's going to be on Shutter this month. I recently saw it not too long ago. As a matter of fact, I think I mentioned it on this show. It's a good movie with uh, Barbara Crampton and Larry Pazenden. I think I'm... I never can pronounce his last name right. I think it's Pazenden. Anyways, it's a good vampire movie. I saw it on DVD at store near my house. I was like, oh, fucking right. I'm going to buy it. But they had to put... It's got a nice slipcase. But stores, for some reason, have to put their fucking price tags like the stickers on the slipcases I don't know why we do this like you have it's in a shelving rack the price tag is right on the rack why do you gotta put it on the fucking slipcase cause the sticker probably is not gonna come off properly which then you've now ruined the slipcase so I have this movie, Jacob's Wife. I love this movie. I think it was a really good movie. It was worth buying. I was happy to see. Granted, I would prefer Blu-ray, but for some reason, the Shutter exclusives never get released on Blu-ray in Canada. We always have to import them from the States if we want them. I don't get that. But anyways, so I see it anyways. I'm like, okay, hey, it's only 12 bucks. I'm like, fuck, I'll get it. And the fucking stickers on the slipcase. 
And when I tried to very slowly peel it off, nope, it ripped. It, it, it left gooey scuff marks on the fucking slipcase. It's like, thanks, it's ruined. It almost makes me want to, like, just crumple up the, the slipcase and throw it out, but I didn't. That's my rant of the week. Because fuck stores, man. Goddamn retailers. Stop putting your fucking stickers on the slipcases. You ruin them. I know, this is normally why I buy from Amazon. But it's like, ah. I thought, hey, you know what? It's it's easily accessible. It's right here. I'll just buy it now. I don't have to order it online and wait for it to come in the mail or anything. I'll just buy it now. Yep, let's put a fucking sticker on the slipcase. Anyways, I'll stop repeating myself about that. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, Affleck, you were the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Welcome back to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And obviously, you know what this episode's about. I wouldn't have quoted that for nothing, you know. Um, Actually, I probably would have, but... Yeah, episode 101. I promise you, the, the episode where I'm bringing a guest on will happen. It's just a matter of lining up schedules, which is probably why I've done over 100 episodes for this podcast and almost never had guests on it. I, when you, Especially when you work midnights, it's, it's tough to line your schedule up with most people who don't work midnight so it, it it will happen it's just a matter of when but this week might as well talk about a little movie from 1998 starring Ben Affleck and Rose McGowan and Liev Schreiber is it Schreiber or Schreiber I never really know um Peter O'Toole yeah it's a cool little like creature feature kind of like a nod to the old 50s and 60s sci-fi movies based on the book by the best-selling author dean Kuntz. this week we're doing phantoms 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 um okay but before that a few little movie reviews two movie reviews i'm gonna make this very quick well, kind of quick, anyways. Um, so one is a 2019 movie that I avoided because dumbass here decided to listen to the mainstream gem pop fucking critics out there that are like, oh, this movie, it doesn't live up to the hype. And the other one is apparently a movie that is getting hyped beyond belief. And I kind of don't know why. So, first off, let's talk about The Addams Family from 2019. It's an animated film. It's supposed to be for kids. I get it. Um, the problem is, is, like I said, I should have known better than to listen to mainstream critics and, you know, and supposed fans of The Addams Family. Um, because, you know, I, I, I heard, hey, this movie's not going to live up, you know, it, or sorry, it doesn't live up. To the true Adam's legacy, you know, and I, I was told the movie was boring. I was told it was uninspiring. Wrong. <laughs> it's actually quite amusing. Um, 
Very true. Okay, so here's the thing. I think this is why people said it was boring and it wasn't what they wanted. Because the thing is, is it's true. It stays very true to the original comics from The New Yorker that were done by Charles Adams. Uh, there was the animated series in the 70s and in the 90s. And then, of course, obviously, the TV series from the 60s. And that's more the essence we get from this animated movie. But everyone loves those fucking movies from the 90s. Which, alright, so let's get this straight now. I'm not knocking them because I love them too. As a matter of fact, they were what inspired me to watch this animated movie because I just picked them up on Blu-ray. It was a good price. I got both. I got Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values for $5 each on Blu-ray. It's like... God damn, can't pass that up. So now I have them on all three formats. I have them on VHS, I have them on DVD, and I have them on Blu-ray. And I'm like, yay, I love these movies. That's the thing. I do love the movies. I'm not knocking the movies. But the problem is, is that everyone compares anything Adam's Family related to those two movies. The thing is, is those two movies are like a different kind of beast. They're not... It's... And I mean, it's not that they're bad they're great movies but they're more fantastic they're more extravagant they're more outrageous um the humor and the themes in them in like in those two movies three if you include adam's family reunion which most people don't but anyways those movies were they were less subtle where the comics and the tv show and the animated shows and whatnot all of that was that subtle kind of humor, and that's what this did. This took a lot of jabs at common society, uh, you know. And I, I love the in in the animated movie the, the the term they use is assimilation, and I'm like, yeah, you know, sad to say, but that's actually our common society. Everything's about assimilation. Everything is about inclusion. We keep hearing this word inclusion lately, and. The thing is, is like, I get the reason for it, but there's nothing wrong with being different. There's nothing wrong with being the oddball out. Um, and I think that's why I like this movie so much. Pretty much it's why I like the Adams Family in general, because the Adams Family always was that story that was like, just because you're an outsider doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Nor does it mean you have to be included. You can stand out amongst the crowd, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, as much as this movie was geared towards kids, and a lot of the humor is for kids. I mean, there's some fart jokes and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, well, I get it. It's a kid's movie. But I was impressed at how some of the themes are actually very intellectual in this film. Like, it's it, more appealing to adults i guess is it's not so much that it's intellectual but it's appealing to adults at the same time which is something that cha that i've always championed the adams family on um because even growing up as a kid watching that 60s tv series and whatnot the humor sort of like looney tunes cartoons i know you're like how the fuck did they come into this but if you watch looney tunes cartoons as an adult you see the adult humor and the kids humor as a kid, when you're watching it, you only see the kid humor in it. Well, it's the same with The Adams Family. And I found watching this movie, yes, it's 
definitely more for kids than adults, but there was some adult humor in there that I was like, oh, hey, that was kind of cool. Um, I mean, for me personally, Adam's family is always, Gomez and Morticia will always be John Aston and Carolyn Jones. They're forever. And that is, by no means am I putting down, you know, Raul, Julia, and Angelica Houston. It's just, I'm that guy. I like John Aston and Carolyn Jones as my Morticia is Gomez. That said, Christina Ricci, she owns Wednesday Adams. That's never going to fucking change. <laughs> I can't see that changing for a long time. Um, but in terms of this movie, like I'd say it's, it, to be fair, I think it was like a 7 out of 10 and whatnot. And I hate myself for avoiding it as long as I did because I kept hearing it doesn't live up, it's not good, it's not funny, it's uninspired. It was like, I don't know what movie you guys watched. Either that or... Have you branched outside of the two movies from the 1990s? Like, do you have have you seen the New Yorker comics? Have you watched the T? How do you not watch the TV series? There's a Pluto channel online that's 24 seven Adams Family. It's not hard to watch. Like, seriously, go on Pluto TV, <laughs> Adams Family channel, and it's the fucking series. Um, the DVD set is out there, and the DVDs are not expensive. I mean, if you buy the set, yeah, I think it's like 50 bucks or something, but you can buy Volumes 1, Volume 2, Volume 3. You can buy what... I mean, it's not hard to get. So maybe branch out. Look more into more Adam's Family. And uh, I'll admit, like part of why I also watch this is because October 1st, we're getting a sequel to that animated movie and I'm kind of looking forward to it. So, so there's that. So that movie where, you know, most people didn't hype it up. I liked it. Now for the other movie, the suicide squad. I know you're like superheroes. Really? Yes. Well, okay. But James Gunn was behind this one and Hey, I'm not going to lie. The trailers had my attention. I was like, I think it could be good. So here's my unpopular opinion. You know Public Enemy? That really great rap group? Yeah, they once had a song called Don't Believe the Hype. Well, I concur. Okay, before I say anything else, though, I don't hate this movie. Let's... I want to put that out there. I don't hate it, okay? But here's my thing, and most people seem to get... They get hung up on two words when I say this, but... When I watched Justice League, the Zack Snyder, the Snyder Cut, when I watched that, that was a four-hour movie that didn't feel like four hours. I mean, it was a long, it felt like a long movie. I'm not going to say it didn't feel long. I mean, it was four hours. <laughs> it's not exactly short. But it didn't feel like four hours. I remember when it ended, and I'm like, that's it? Wow, fuck, that, that went by fast. This movie... Suicide Squad. It's two hours and 12 minutes long. And at an hour and a half, I actually paused the movie to see how much was left. And when I saw there was still another 42 minutes, I was like, fuck, are you kidding me? This movie's not done yet? <laughs> like, it felt so long. Now, the, the opening of the movie, the opening sequence and whatnot, kind of the first act, it's pretty solid. I'm not going to lie predictable 
And sadly, because I kind of didn't like the way the movie opened. But I mean, at the same time, it was entertaining. And the closing act for the movie, pretty fun. I'm not going to lie. It was, it, was, it was solid. It's the middle part of the movie. There is at least two subplots that the movie didn't even need. It could have taken them right out and it wouldn't have even affected the movie at all. Take Cut this movie down by about 35 minutes and I think it would have actually been extremely solid. The other thing that I had a problem with is that the humor just isn't that funny. Okay, so sadly, <laughs> many, many people are doing this and I mean, it's a shame, but at the same time it's going to happen is the comparisons between this and Guardians of the Galaxy, which I too am one of them sitting here saying sort of the similar things for those of us that are critical of the film that is when we watch guardians of the galaxy and keep in mind i'm not a marvel guy okay like i don't mind the marvel movies but there's only three that have really stood out for me and that was captain america winter soldier the first avengers film and guardians of the galaxy and after that it's been kind of like well they're good and I probably won't watch them again for another couple of years. <laughs> That's just the way I am with Marvel. DC movies have appealed to me more, oddly enough. But, so, okay, we got the comparisons here. Guardians of the Galaxy and the Suicide Squad. Guardians of the Galaxy, the thing is, is that the humor in it felt very natural. It felt like it was part of this universe. The Suicide Squad, on the other hand... The humor fe feels like it's been placed in after the story was already created. It feels like it was an addition. On top of that, you have actors that wouldn't normally be funny pretending or trying to be funny. For example, and I mean no offense to the dude, but John Cena is just not a good comedian. I mean, he's... <laughs> I'm going to get ripped for this, but well, maybe I won't. But as a wrestler, he's not even a good actor. I don't know why people think John Cena can be a good actor. Unless he's playing like some military role, he's not that good. Like, and I, I don't mean that in like an, oh my God, I think I'm better than him kind of way because God, no, I couldn't pull off half the roles the man's done. But I just felt like he was kind of like there. Like he has his moments, but, but I'm sitting here watching, um, Dave Dastmalshian play Polka Dot Man. And at the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, so we have a Peacemaker series coming from HBO Max. I would much rather see a Polka Dot, Polka Dot Man series than see Peacemaker. That's how kind of how I felt about John Cena. I'm like, it's not that he's horrible, but I just don't find him appealing enough to want to watch him. Um, the standouts in this movie, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. He, he was good in the first Suicide Squad movie, which I know a lot of people were like, that movie was forgettable. Well, okay. So what? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. Again, I'm that odd DC fan that like almost never jibes with anybody. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, Idris Elba. He's good. Solid. I liked him in other movies better, but he wasn't horrible in this. Um, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Either you like her or you don't. I personally don't mind her Harley. I think she's pretty solid, but some people don't really care for it. And then there's Peter Capaldi as the thinker. Now, that 
was a performance that was fun watching. Unfortunately, he's not in the movie half enough to really shine, you know, but when he's on the screen, it's fucking gold. Um, I don't know. The movie's not horrible. I'd probably rate it about like, I don't know, like a five out of 10, five and five and a half out of 10. It's not, again, it's, it's not that I hated the movie or anything. It's not a bad movie, but I just can't rave about it. Like I didn't, I, I don't know if it's that the trailer was misleading because when I saw the trailer, I remember thinking to myself, damn, this looks like it's going to be a fun movie. But then again, that's also the other problem. A lot of the humor you saw in the trailer, that's the humor in the movie. And there's one other thing that I'm also going to add very quickly before I drop the Suicide Squad talk altogether is that Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, she's a great casting for the role. As a matter of fact, in the first Suicide Squad film, she was one of the highlights as Amanda Waller. In this one, I don't know if they were just, you know, they were like, hey, we got an R rating, so let's hype it up to an R rating or what. But there's one scene where she's just screaming every curse word you can think of at the top of her lungs. And I'm like, that is so out of character. That is not Amanda Waller. Not even close. Amanda Waller will do, will make some fucked up decisions. Amanda Waller will do things that you will question. But Amanda Waller will not scream at the top of her lungs like a whining child. Screaming motherfucker fucking you goddamn fucking pieces of fucking shit fucking this fucking. That's not Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller would keep her cool. She's, she's going to do shit that you will not understand, but she will keep her cool. She's not going to lose her fucking lid. So when I was watching that scene, I'm like, mm, nope, <laughs> that didn't work. But that's me. And again, I'm like I said, when it comes to DC movies, I almost jive with no one. I'm the guy who thinks that, you know, the Zack Snyder movies were awesome, where most people are like, yeah, he doesn't know how to do DC movies. Keep him out of DC. Okay, whatever. And on that note, let's keep in mind, stickers on slipcases do not belong. Stop fucking doing that. Anyways, on to the trailer timeout. We're going to do our trailer timeout. Then when we come back, we will discuss a film directed by Joe Chappelle. Not Dave Chappelle, Joe Chappelle. Starring Mr. Ben Affleck. Rose McGowan, Peter O'Toole, movie that came from the Weinstein brothers, but we'll ignore that part. From 1998, after the trailer timeout, we'll return to Phantoms. Back in a splat, kids. Last night, something paid a visit to the town of Snowfield, Colorado. Hundreds of thousands missing. No bodies, no graves, no witnesses. We've always worried that the terror would come from above. What if it came from below? It's nothing. It's here! It's What 
are we dealing with here? Biological, chemical, or other? I'm leaning toward other. Okay, we'll get into phantoms in just one moment. I have to do something really quickly here. In regards to the last release from this podcast, it wasn't an actual official episode, but basically my rant towards um, a cartoon that grown men cried over. (laughs) And they still are continuing to do so. Anyways... Yeah, I released that episode. That was me just basically letting out some frustration because I I really didn't understand all the anger and the hatred. Anyways, what I'd like to kind of just highlight before getting into the review is that I was really, um, I guess, relieved, but very appreciative of some of the reaction I got from that episode. As recent as while I'm recording this, I just got some feedback on that episode in which someone basically said, you know, I I thank you for putting that out there. I, I feel very similar, you know, to your opinions and whatnot. It makes me feel good because that rant, I released it and then... I kind of questioned it after. I was like, should I have done that? Like, because it was pretty harsh. But at the same time, a lot of the criticism towards that little five episode series was pretty harsh as well. So I guess it kind of counterbalanced itself out. But I felt kind of good after when I started hearing that people agreed with me. I was like, okay, I guess I'm not alone in that. Being that like... So many times I review shit or I talk about movies or whatever, and there's always that person that's like, how did you come to that conclusion? Like Suicide Squad. I'm seeing all these rave reviews, and I'm the one that's going, why? Like, it's good. I mean, it's all right. It's not fucking amazing. I don't know. what I've seen people. I've literally seen people say that they thought Suicide Squad was like James Gunn, like his magnum opus. And I'm like, really? I'd put Slither higher than this fucking movie. Like, I don't know. It's just me. But anyways, I just wanted to like say that it, as much as it was sort of a relief, it's also kind of um, refreshing to know that not everyone is an annoying cuckhole when it comes to, you know, something as simple as an animated cartoon that's just meant to entertain. Like, seriously... Some people really need to stop being these armchair critics who think that, you know, they just know everything. And it's like, man, you can have your opinions. That's cool. But if someone has a different opinion than you, then you doesn't make them wrong. It just means they liked something you didn't or they didn't like something you did. It's not a big deal. But anyways... Let's talk about this movie from 1998. Movie called Phantoms. Because we all know that Jay Muse fucking loves this movie. I think you the bomb in Phantoms, yo! Yeah, so, Phantoms. Released January 23rd, 1998. Directed by Joe Chappelle. Joe Chappelle also did a, a, another really good movie that is kind of polarizing between fans he did halloween 6 the curse of michael myers 
or some people will call it Halloween 666, the curse of Michael Myers. There is the producer's cut, and then there's the theatrical cut. And yeah, he also did the movie Takedown. But he's done a lot of TV work. The TV is where he really defined himself. And I mean, like with shows like The Wire, uh, CSI Miami, Fringe, and Chicago Fire. So, I mean, like, you're talking, like, some pretty big-name TV shows. But, yeah, he worked on Halloween 6. I was like, that's kind of cool. Um, the movie, Phantoms, screenplay, novel, both written by Mr. Dean Koontz. In terms of movies, stories, things he's written, he's also done Watchers and its sequels, apparently. I think he's credited for the sequels. I don't think he actually wrote them, though. I'm not sure. But he did... The, I know he did the first Watchers film. Anyways. Uh, he did the movie... Uh, screenplay, anyways, for Intensity, Mr. Murder, and Odd Thomas with Anton Yelchin. I like the book for this movie, but I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be like you know, Mr. Know-It-All when it comes to the differences between the book and the movie because I read the book way back when I was in high school and I really don't remember it. So, to, like, well, I mean, I remember reading it, but I can't remember the differences between the book and the movie. So there will be none of that in this review. I, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, well, the book did this and the movie did it. I honestly don't remember. So, um, movie was produced by Joel Swasson and Michael, Le- Michael Leahy along with Dean Koontz and Bob and Harvey Weinstein as executive producers. We won't talk about the Weinsteins. But anyways, talking about Joel. Joel has uh, been involved with movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Trick or Treat, the one from 1986, not the 2007 film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Maniac Cop 3, Badge of Silence, Dracula 2000, The Prophecy, Beast, and some of the later Hellraiser films like Inferno, Hellseeker, and Revelations. And Michael, he, well, many of the same films as Joel, but he also worked on Halloween Resurrection. Uh, He was uncredited, but he was a part of the creative team behind that. And he worked on the Feast sequels, where Joel didn't. And he also worked on Hellraiser Judgment, where Joel didn't. So... Other than that, they, they pretty much were hand-in-hand. Hand. They they worked together quite often. Cinematography by Richard Klaubaugh. I think I'm saying that last name right. Klaubaugh. Uh, he worked on The Prophecy and The Prophecy 2. Children of the Corn, The Gathering. Um, and he was a camera operator for films like Waxwork, Waxwork 2, and Hellraiser 3, and Maniac Cop 3. Sp- Special effects were done by KMB, that being Robert Kurtzman, Howard Berger, and Greg Nicotero. If you are a fan of this podcast or a fan of horror movies, I don't have to tell you what they've worked on. You know a lot. Music was done by David C. Williams. Uh, And he did the scores for other films like Critters 3, The Prophecy, Prophecy 2, Wishmaster 2, and Supernova. And I'm going to tell you this. This is kind of cool. I recently discovered this myself. 
his score for this movie is available on Bandcamp. I thought that was kind of cool. I actually, I did purchase it. I was like, oh, fucking right. I mean, the score is solid. It's not the best, but it's definitely not the worst. It's kind of solid. But it was nice to know it was on Bandcamp. I'm like, oh, shit. It's kind of cool. Starring cast for Phantoms from 1998. Okay, so let's start off with... I know everybody's like, you're going to start with Ben Affleck. Nope. Let's start with Peter O'Toole first. It's Dr. Timothy Flight. And I mean, yeah, if you know Peter O'Toole, you probably know his name is synonymous with Lawrence of Arabia. I'm going to say it. He's also part of Supergirl. Not the TV series. (laughs) I'm talking about that really bad movie from the 80s. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie, I own it, and I'll watch it often, but I do have it. Um, yeah, he was in that. Sadly, he passed away in 2013. Moving on to Rose McGowan, she's hot, I'm not going to lie, as Lisa Paley, and she was in other movies like The Doom Generation, which I have talked about on this show before. She was in Scream, that I've talked on this show before about. Nowhere, Jawbreaker. Uh, she was in the TV series Charmed. She was in the movie Black Dahlia. Death Proof, Planet Terror, and Rosewood Lane. Rosewood Lane is okay. It's not great. I mean, all those other titles I mentioned, really good. Well, Charmed, I... I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch it. Um, I knew of it and whatnot, but it was just never my thing. Um, But like Doom Generation, Scream, Nowhere, Jawbreaker, Black Dahlia, Death Proof, Planet Terror, all those are awesome films. They're really good. Rosewood Lane was okay. wasn't that it was bad, but it wasn't great. Um, And then her sister is played by Joanna Going. She plays Jennifer or Jen in this. Um, A lot of TV work. Uh, but she had a very prominent role in the series Kingdom that starred Frank Grillo. Um, Kingdom was about like the MMA fighter that went into retirement and whatnot, and I believe he's like a crime fighter. It, it was some like kind of like crime mystery show or something like that along that line. Anyways, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't watch it, but I knew of the show and whatnot, and that was. Uh, I think she had something like she was in pretty much the whole series, which was like 40 episodes or something like that. And she was from top to bottom in every episode. So moving on to Liev Schreiber. Or Schreiber. I, fuck. I wish I could pronounce names better instead of always sounding like a moron. But anyways, he plays Deputy Stu Wargle. Um, where do we know Leah from? Well, we know him as Cotton Weary in the Scream movies. Uh, as well as Victor Creed in Wolverine uh, X-Men Origins. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that one. <laughs> uh, he was also Ray Donovan in the series of the same name, Ray Donovan. So he's done a, like he's done a lot of work, but those are like some of the highlights. Yo, Affleck, you were the bomb in Phantoms. I know I'm saying it wrong, but whatever. Affleck, you the bomb in Phantoms, yo! Ben Affleck as Sheriff Bryce Hammond. 
And uh, he played Batman. That's all you need to know. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, he was uncredited in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, um, which he was a basketball player in that. I remember I remember the scene as well. He was in uh, Dazed and Confused, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. He's been in a lot of Kevin Smith movies. Uh, he was also in Armageddon. He was Daredevil before being Batman. Um, he was in The Town. He was in Argo. Argo is a really good movie. All right. Both The Town and Argo. Excellent movies. And Gone Girl, which is another excellent movie. Yeah, a lot of people like to, you know, make butt-end jokes about Ben Affleck, but he's been in a lot of good shit. And then he was in Gigli, but we, <laughs> we speak not of that movie. Um, Nikki Cat. As Deputy Steve Shannon. He's not in the movie long, but he, he's there. Uh, he was in Dazed and Confused. He was in The Burbs. Uh, Death Proof, Planet Terror. And he was an uncredited role as a SWAT agent in The Dark Knight. In 2008. I believe that was, yeah, Dark Knight came out in 2008. Clifton Powell as General Leland Copperfield. 257 acting credits. Boy has done a lot of shit. But I mentioned that he was in Deep Rising, Rush Hour, and Safe House. But yeah, 257. He's kept himself busy. Robert Nepper as Agent Wilson was also in Young Guns 2, Species 3, R.I.P.D., and TV shows like The Arrow and The Flash. Or Arrow and The Flash, I should say. And let's see. So a few special mentions. Uh, first off, Linnea Quigley. Yeah, she's got a small, tiny little role. She's the woman in room 204. That's her crediting. Um, where do we know Linnea from? I don't know. Maybe Return of the Living Dead, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Savage Streets, Night of the Demons, 2016's The Barn, which the sequel is still coming. Um just don't have an actual release date yet, but it's coming. Um, so yeah, Linnea Quigley's in this. Very brief, minor little role, but she's in it nonetheless. And then, oh, the dog. I gotta mention the dog. Come on. The, the little phantom dog in this movie. Little is a golden retriever. His name was Ruger. It's the only movie. Well, he was in three other movies. Two other movies. In three movie, movies total, and one of them was like Ruger, like his name was actually it was like Ruger the Wizard Dog or something like that. I seen it's kind of cool, whatever. But um, yeah, he's the Phantom Dog. And then there is special effects wizard Larry Odian. He plays Sheriff Henderson in this, but I mean his name. Eighty-seven special effects credits, but these are not unknown movies we're talking fright night we're talking house we're talking neon maniacs howard the duck nightmare on elm street part three creep show two elvira mistress of the dark back to the future two the exorcist three batman returns the dark half village of the damned from dusk till dawn mars attacks men in black spawn the x-files blade idle hands spider-man 2 rottweiler slither species three I mean, these are all big name. His name was like synonymous with special effects. He's almost up there with KMB. Like, only 87 
special effects credits, but all of them very successful films. And he has a small little role as Sheriff Henderson in this. So I had to mention that. The runtime for the movie is an hour and 36 minutes long, rated R for sci-fi violence, gore, and language. And the gross profit was somewhere between 5.6 and 5.8 million. I was seeing different numbers, so I just kind of wrote that down. No budget to be found. The synopsis for this film is off the back of the DVD. And Blu-ray is a little bit of a trick to find. But at the back of the DVD, anyways, it says this. A heart-stopping, edge-of-your-seat thriller thriller with a hot hot cast cast of rising rising stars. stars. Phantoms Phantoms. is the latest latest from from Master of Suspense Suspense, Dean Dean Koontz. Five lone lone survivors survivors in a devastated town town must face the unthinkable, a ferocious force of evil lying below the earth for centuries, has surfaced with the power to destroy every human being. Left behind are two sisters, the town sheriff, his deputy, and a noted tabloid journalist. You're in for a pulse-pounding experience as the survivors must race to stop this terrifying threat before it wipes mankind off the face of the earth. And you're thinking, if only this movie had been as good as the synopsis made it sound. Actually, it's not a bad movie, though. But Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. Word, bitch. Phantoms like a motherfucker. What's up now? This uh, segment is called The Ancient Enemy is Chaos in the Flesh. It was actually a line in the movie where, like, Peter O'Toole is, like, describing what the ancient enemy is and he's like it's chaos in the flesh no it's a bunch of cgi but anyways (laughs) actually not all cgi there's quite a few practical effects in the movie but some of it is cgi and the cgi is sort of what's kind of dated in the movie but anyways as you've heard me say it as you've heard the clip affleck you the bomb in phantoms yo Affleck, you the bomb in Phantoms, yo! Was a phrase coined by Jason Mewes in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And has become a popular phrase whenever Ben Affleck is mentioned in the media. Absolutely. And even when you're talking with your friends and everything, it's just... Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was an interesting movie that I mean it was humorous it was fun but I think it was also at the point where Kevin Smith was starting I don't want to say he was dropping off because he wasn't but the Jay and Silent Bob thing I think at that point that was at its highest point um since then it's kind of fizzled off but I think that was at its highest point but when when they're talking about you know uh the internet and the, the poop shoot and you know people criticizing movies online because we don't do that in society no not at all but anyways <laughs> um you know and then affleck's like you know yeah but affleck was the bomb in phantoms and but affleck was the bomb in phantoms then later on you know jay muse when he runs into supposed ben affleck what are they filming? They're filming Goodwill Hunting 2, I think, actually, or something like that. And he's like, Affleck, you the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Affleck, you the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Yeah, it's become a very popular phrase. The thing is, though, is that this movie was actually supposed to be done sooner. Um, 
an adaptation for the novel was originally uh, to be filmed in the late 1980s. Um, or they wanted to do it like early 1990s. Uh, it was supposed to be done by New, New World Pictures, though, um, and Allied Vision Entertainment. But unfortunately, New World had to file for bankruptcy. So the movie never did happen. And then years later, Miramax was the one that came along and picked the project up and said, here, give it life. Um, categorically, um, this uh, movie was a huge uh, influence on a certain video game from PS1 known as Silent Hill. Uh, it came out in 1999, actually. But apparently this movie was somewhat inspired Silent Hill. And the book influenced the movie Jacob's Ladder. Somehow. I'm not really sure how, but apparently it did. And then the movie has also influenced another movie known as Session 9 from 2001. Kind of a cool thing here. So Rose McGowan and Liev Schreiber both appeared in Scream. And Ben Affleck and Nikki Cat both appeared in Dazed and Confused. So that was the link between those actors, apparently. It's a big thing. But anyways, um, the thing with the, 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 the scene with the dog. I mentioned about the dog. Yeah, the dog was um, supposed to be a nod to the thing from 1982. You kind of can see it, too, definitely. But, um, yeah, the... The whole idea of like the dog was like part of the ancient enemy, and in the thing, the dog was part was you know a, a spawn of the thing that you know that's what basically brought the whole thing to that camp in Antarctica and whatnot. So that was sort of like their nod to the thing. It's kind of cool. Um, some people have compared this movie to the works of H.P. Lovecraft, um, basically because there's an ancient being from a time before man, and you know it's uh, got it can be like tentacled, uh, like creatures sort of like Cthulhu kind of thing from within the depths of the earth and whatnot. So there, there is the comparisons to H.P. Lovecraft. Um, there's also people that have compared it to like movies from the 50s and 60s but you know those old sci-fi films and whatnot so it definitely has some of that going i mean this movie basically is a three-act film like most films you know the first act is basically the introduction act it introduces us to snowfield it introduces us to our characters um and then the second act gives us the who, how, and why of the ancient enemy. You know, we discover what the ancient enemy, the ancient enemy is, um, and how it's like you know, it basically has absorbed the town, the the citizens of this town, and that it believes it's a god and all this sort of stuff. And then the final act, obviously, is the showdown between our grand heroes. Affleck, you're the bomb. I gotta stop saying that. But, um, you know, the showdown between our heroes and the ancient enemy. And I feel like this movie also, when you talk about it more so than the actual movie itself, but it could be a drinking game in its own because how many times you have to refer to it as the ancient enemy. I wish they would have given it a cooler name than that, but it is what it is. I've always, um... I've always felt this movie. Now, maybe it's just me, but I've always felt that 
The movie was released in theaters, but I don't know. Whenever I watch it, it has like a late night cable TV aesthetic to it. I feel like it's something that I would, I would more see on like a, a you know, like a movie network or something like that. Or, um, like a, a made for TV movie. I've always felt like it has like that aesthetic to it. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but when I watch this, like, I feel like I'm watching like one of those made for TV Stephen King films. Um, or like, it's got like also like a midnight theater feel to it. You know, um, it makes, basically it makes it feel like less of a Hollywood film. Um, and which is weird because it's a Weinstein film that, you know, came from, you know, Miramax. It's got these Hollywood stars in it, you know, I mean, it, Ben Affleck, Rose McGowan, uh, Liev Schreiber, they were doing like, like those films at that time that was like very big in the theaters and whatnot. And yet it feels like it's a made for TV movie. That's not made for TV. I know this is totally making no sense to anyone, but me. But I just, I always had this feeling like when I'm watching it, I'm like, I guess I could see it on the big screen, but like see it that it, it had a big screen release, but it always felt like it was something like was made for TV or made for cable. Um, and again, I'm not saying that's a, as a bad thing. I'm just saying it, it doesn't feel like a blockbuster, which is kind of cool. It's a very haunting film. Um... There are some jump scares, but not overly excessive. Um, as some movies in today's era, it's like they rely on jump scares. This movie has a few, but not it. It relies more on the creep factor, you know that the, instead of the "boo, we got you" kind of thing, like where you're like, "Oh my god!" It, it doesn't do that. It just it lingers. It's got a linger effect to it. And I kind of like that, especially the scenes with the dog. In particular, the scene where the dog is watching uh, Sheriff Hammond played by Batman, you know, and they're getting ready to devise their plan to take down their enemy and whatnot. We all know Affleck will live. Obviously, he has to, but it's still like a really creepy moment just where the dog, especially when like he's walking back towards you know, his team and the dog kind of like walks and then gets right in front of him and then just sits there staring at him. And whatnot. it's a very unnerving moment in the film. And I like that they do that. Um, and then in terms of like the effects, obviously it gets compared to movies like Leviathan, the thing I mentioned the thing already. The blob is another one. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, is that this movie is not as superior as those films. It's, uh, but it is a decent um, assessment, I guess, for what the director and the creative team were aiming for. I've also seen reviews and comments mentioned where people stated they felt that this is like an unofficial remake of the old Hammer film, um, X The Unknown, that was directed by Leslie Norman from 1956. I mean, and the, the the premise for that film is a radioactive mud-like creature terrorizes a Scottish village. And I kind of can see that. Um, like I said, you can definitely see like the 50s and 60s feel to this. Um, the thing is, is uh, where there's... 
Sometimes where I find that there's difference of opinions with this film comes with the acting. Some people feel that the acting is really weak, where other people feel that it's a strong performance by some of the actors. And you got to look at the storyline here. So we have, like, first of all, you have the two sisters played by Joanna Going and Rose McGowan. The sisters not getting along at the beginning of the film. Um, for me, personally, feels very unnatural. It feels like we were just, like, thrown into the middle of this, like, dispute or this, like, rivalry, this sibling rivalry that we have no really, there's no reason to really believe that it has to be there. Like, I don't know, especially, like, when um, Rose McGowan's character of Lisa is, like, supposedly talking to her boyfriend on the phone, and she's like, yeah, I'm being kidnapped and stuff like that. And then her sister's, like, making comments about the boyfriend and this and that. It's like, why do we care? Like, I guess they're trying to set it up that, oh, well, they might not get along, but they do. Like, pretty much from that point on in the film, that really has no bearing on the story. So it seems like it's, like, it got put into the movie just because... Um, almost like they're getting paid to have a sibling rivalry, but that sibling rivalry is going is not going to exist once the second act takes place. So I don't know. Um, after that though, I mean, I'll be honest. The both actresses are pretty solid in the film. <laughs> Affleck being the bomb in Phantoms. Affleck, you the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Is he really that good? I mean, he's solid. I'll give him that. I don't know that it's his best acting ever or that it's quote-unquote bomb-worthy, but he's not the problem with the film either. Then there's Peter O'Toole. And here's my thing, and... I mean, I, I mentioned Supergirl earlier, right? But his acting in this movie is sometimes way over the top. Um, at the... Like, at the point where it's like... There's the scene where, like... He's talking about the ancient enemy and he's like almost like yelling. He's like screaming. Like there's a time when he's talking back. There's a back and forth between him and Sergeant Hammond or um, Sheriff Hammond. Sorry. And he's like yelling. And it's like, why are you yelling? Like there's no reason to like just talk. Um, but I don't know. I guess maybe he took the. Okay. The character's name is Timothy Flight. Maybe he thought he was support, supposed to like soar with his voice or his performance or something. I, I don't get it. Like, I don't know. Like, he keeps, he, he gets very frantic and it's like, it's an acting choice, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I get that he's trying to portray himself as someone eccentric. Like, you know, he's got this great knowledge into this phenomenon known as the ancient enemy, but it's like he goes over the top just a little too much. And I find sometimes that kind of takes me out of his performance. But then the highlight of the film was also one that I found was somewhat polarizing between fans. And that is Leah Schreiber as Stu. Some people feel that he's just like way too hammy and they couldn't take him serious for whatever reason. For me personally, I think he does creepy really well. Um, I might also add that his name in this is Stu. And in the movie Scream, that was the name of Matthew Lillard's character was Stu, Stu Mocker. So, and Leah was in that. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. But um, back to his acting. Ugh, I enjoy him in this movie. He's creepy. He's, he's fucking weird. 
<laughs> especially with his obsession with Lisa, like played by Rose McGowan. He's ugh, he's just he comes off as like creepy old man, and he does it well. Um, I liked it. I personally feel that his role, and he's the one that um, like when he comes back as part of you know the ancient one ancient enemy whatever the fuck you want to call it when he comes back and he's like part of that entity he's he's still doing the creepy factor and now he's dialing it up and i guess maybe that's where people like have their criticisms with it i personally love it i think he's so much fun in this movie in terms of the overall movie i feel the beginning of the film is strong it's the stronger of two halves um I enjoy the movie from beginning to end, but I find that the beginning really is the creepier part of the two. Uh, and once it starts getting into like the monster of it and whatnot, I don't want to say it's like run of the mill monster movie or anything like that, but it just, I find the setup for the movie just works so much better. Um, the middle drags a little kind of like the suicide squad, but anyways, um, the effects, though, the effects are done very well. Um, when they're done digitally, it looks dated, but the practical effects still hold up really well. But, I mean, that's what you get when you're dealing with KMB. Like, if if they're involved in a movie, odds are the practical effects are going to fucking hold up. Um, and they do the score, which, like I said, can be purchased through Bandcamp, uh, is eerie and creepy and subtle. It's not overbearing, it's not forceful, it's not in your face. It just does what it needs to do, which sets the atmosphere and the tone just perfect. The runtime as well is the perfect length. It's not too short, but not long enough to... Um, it's not overbearing. It leaves enough room to tell its story. Let's put it that way. There's some breathing room as well, which, like I said, is sort of that middle point where it drags just a little, but it's also taking a breath before it goes into the climactic ending. So I'm okay with that. Fans of the film hold a very strong passion for this film. The fans, when you read fan comments, more times than not, they love this movie. The critics, not so kind of the fucking film. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 13% approval rating. Uh, and that was something with uh, 31 critic reviews and whatnot. Through Metacritic itself, it has a rating of 26 out of 100. Variety and LA Times were basically the only two mainstream media factions that actually gave this movie a high grade. Everyone else was at a 50 or less out of 100. They really... Critics did not like this. I know Roger Ebert, I think, gave it like one out of four stars. Said it really wasn't a standout and he didn't care for it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, there was one quote that I read came from Film Threat. Uh, reviewer Ron Wells specifically who said, Hot damn, a full-on gory, relatively, unpretentious horror movie. Far better than it has any right to be. And that is exactly how I feel on this one. Um, the DVD cover artwork, the poster artwork, whatever, is your typical 90s poster. Cast of characters, cross the middle of it. It's got title. And 
famous names scrawled on the bottom or whatever. Like it says Phantoms, Dean Koontz, and it's got like cast names and it's got cast. It's a very boring poster. It wasn't like in the 80s especially had a lot of um, really awesome poster artwork. Uh, the 50s and 60s used to do their, their, their painted murals and shit like that. In terms of the poster for this, very generic. This movie, when you look at that, when you think about, you know, the overall premise of it, and what, uh, and in fact, it's a Miramax horror film at that. I mean, the Miramax, they had some horror films, but not many really good ones. So to be fair, this movie shouldn't have been that good. And instead, we actually got a movie that is very entertaining. Not gonna lie, it's not award-winning material. Um, it doesn't have to be. That's the thing, too. I find that so many people will criticize a film because it's not award-winning material. Not every goddamn movie you watch has to be. Just enjoy shit for what it is. All this movie needed to be was a 90-minute horror or thriller film, you know, about an evil entity that wants to destroy a portion of human existence in order to fill its need to be relevant. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, the big part of the film is tell the world. Tell the world about me. And that's what Timothy Flight is going to do. He's now lived out this experience. He's going to write a book and he's going to do interviews and he's going to talk about this evil entity. And that's all it wanted was to be relevant. Um while the film is not completely, you know, entirely original, no, it's not going to reinvent the wheel, you know, for creature features or sci-fi features or anything like that, but it's entertaining. Just let it do what it does. It entertains. It'll pass a rainy afternoon or, you know, a late night creature feature with some friends and commentary, you know, it's all it needs to be. It's another Miramax dimension style thriller. But unfortunately, films like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer get all the rave and all the hype, where this one kind of flies under the radar. On a critical level, I give the movie a 6 out of 10. But personally and affectionately, I feel it's about a 7, honestly. I really do. I mean, if I have to critique it, yes. Okay, let's be that critical jerk. And, you know, it's a 6 out of 10. It's not that great. No, it's... I like it. It's a 7 out of 10 for me. I, I feel it's a worthy movie. And like I said, it'll pass a rainy afternoon. Or, you know, watch it with some friends and you can have some laughs and stuff like that. And a few jump scares that, you know, might get your friends. I did a movie thing last night with some friends. Introduced a few of them to society. The ones who hadn't seen it before. And then we did One Cut of the Dead and Hush. Um, hush, not Hush. Host. And Host was interesting because there's some jump scares in that that really work. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched it, there was one that got me as well. And it was fun just sitting there watching this movie with friends and seeing the reactions. And, you know, Fandoms is one of those movies that you can have fun with with a group of friends. It doesn't have to be an Oscar award winning film. Matter of fact, most times... The Oscars are overrated and bullshit anyways. So, on that note, thanks for listening, kids. Um, that's pretty much it for the review. That's my viewpoint on it. Uh, I like this movie. I think it's a good film. I think it's uh, 
it's definitely worth checking out. I mentioned about the Blu-ray. I think I said something about, you know, it's it's not easy to find on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. It really isn't. Um, as a matter of fact, so there was Miramax released. There was a three movie and a six movie pack. And Phantoms kind of got lumped in with that. That was part of a Blu-ray release, but it's now out of print. And I mean, you can get it if you buy a used copy. You can get it as low as like nine dollars, but brand new, uh, yeah, it goes for a couple hundred. <laughs> and um, then there's a Spanish Blu-ray release that eh, Canadian Funds is going for about fifty bucks. Granted, okay, it's not horrible, but. It's Spanish, so your menus are gonna be Spanish, and but it's a Blu-ray release nonetheless. So I mean, if you're into, if you want Blu-ray for this movie, obviously that's the way to go for now because there's no other official release. Uh, I myself personally own the DVD, it was released on VHS as well. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of Blu-ray, I I wouldn't be surprised if within the next couple years someone like Arrow Video or Scream Factory picks it up. More than more than likely, I could see Scream Factory picking it up, but um, I'm sure it'll happen eventually. But yeah, so that's it. Phantoms, thanks for tuning in. Uh, y'all know where you can find the show at this point. Um, pretty much uh, most podcast streaming apps are now carrying it. Everyone from Spotify, Apple, Google, FM Player, uh Podbean, Podcast Addict, whatnot, FM Player. There are it's it's made its rounds. The podcast is out there, which I have to admit, the numbers for this podcast have been kind of what's the word I'm thinking of? They've made me feel good. Um, it's nice to see people are tuning into the show, and I'm not gonna lie, like I've had two episodes well one is at like 120 downloads and the other one is just underneath 100 for all the new listeners thank you for joining in and for all of you who have been around for a while you guys are awesome it is so satisfying that's the word i'm thinking of it's a very satisfying feeling it's a very humbling feeling it's very gratifying to know that people are actually tuning into the show and like i said getting feedback too like i i'm i'm starting to finally get some feedback on this show granted yeah maybe it took 100 episodes but whatever it's happening and i'm i'm just loving the fact that people are really starting to take to the show so to all of you thank you so much for that like it it, it really means a lot to me um, and maybe that's got something to do with the fact that it's available through more streaming apps now. I don't know. I just love the fact that it's it's picking up and that people are, are acknowledging it and noticing it and talking about it and whatnot. So it makes me feel really good. Um, and to be fair, I mean, I guess I do have social media to sort of thank for that. I mean, the Facebook page... Every now and then it really picks up attention and then it sort of peters for a bit and then it picks it back up again and then it peters for a bit and I'm cool with that. Like, I mean, I'm not the best with social media, so whenever anything 
like that happens it's just it's really cool so i mean and on and social media facebook instagram twitter pretty much where you can find the podcast next episode i'm toying with a few ideas so i'm not going to announce it yet because i have a couple ideas brewing i haven't actually come to a conclusion on one of them yet so the next episode is a surprise we'll leave it at that but again thank you for tuning in this is the part of the show where I seem to always ramble so much, and which is why I finally started a while back. I, you know, came to the idea that I was like, "Oh my God, there's this Al Pacino quote that I have to use," because I always feel it's perfect for me. Because I really don't know how to end a show. I mean, you guys, those of you who have been around from the beginning, you know, like I've constantly struggled with how do I end this show, and then. That Al Pacino quote just came to me one day and I was like, that's perfect. And then, of course, obviously, now I've added, you know, Bill Mosley's uh, lick my plate quote because it's just really funny. So I like doing that. I think it's kind of cool. And um, yeah, you need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to bitch about movies and share pornography with one another. This is a site populated by militant movie buffs, sad, pathetic little bastards living in their parents' basement, downloading what they think is inside information about movies and actors they claim to despise yet can't stop discussing. But Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. Word, bitch. Phantoms like a motherfucker. What's up now? Uh, all right. Uh, so here we go. Now this is the shoot back section. This is where the people who read the news get to chime in with their two cents. For example, we got a guy here with the chick magnet net handle Wampa One. I, for one, will be boycotting this movie. Who's with me? Then there's like uh, 50 more posts of people who are joining Spartacus. Here's boycott. 